the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Mark. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There can be, perhaps, uh, this ranking of demonic powers and that some of the more powerful of the demons are harder to dislodge. That this one demon was more stubborn and more aggressive. And what Jesus says is, look, there are some principalities that require a person to be at a place of more intense surrender through prayer and fasting. There's a spiritual war being waged all around. Most of us are desensitized to this idea and don't take it very seriously. We see it portrayed frequently in TV shows or movies, and in our self-declared state of scientific enlightenment, we write the idea of angels and demons off as the product of an active imagination. But as Pastor Gary will remind us in today's message, they are very real. We don't need to understand the spiritual realm, but if we ignore it, we leave ourselves vulnerable and unguarded against the enemy. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Mark, chapter 9, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now, when you look at the legacy that Elijah and Moses left, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 17, and also in James chapter 5, it makes mention of this, that the prophet Elijah prayed, and for three and a half years, it did not rain. 1 Kings 17 tells us this. And Elijah did that because King Ahab was a wicked king of Israel, and as a statement of judgment, Elijah prayed that God would withhold rain so that the people of Israel would know that his judgment is upon them because they're following this wicked, idolatrous king Ahab who is leading the people into sin and idolatry. And so God withheld rain for three and a half years by the prayers of one man, Elijah. That's why James 5 says, Elijah is a man just like you and me, in in the sense that we should be able to pray and with faith see God do wonderful, amazing, miraculous things. So Revelation 11 says that one of these two guys has the power to shut up the heavens from rain. Sounds very much like Elijah to me. And the other guy has the power to turn water into blood. Sounds like Moses. Because one of the first things that he did in his display of God's power before Pharaoh was to take his staff and put it into the Nile River and the Nile turned to blood. So it is likely that the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11 are actually Moses and Elijah that God sends to the earth 
as witnesses, and from them come the believers, 144,000 Jewish believers, because of these great evangelists, Elijah and Moses. So they will bodily come to earth, Revelation 11, before the second coming of Jesus, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So I think, really, Revelation 11 is a fulfillment of Malachi 4.5. John the Baptist was the, came in the, in the spirit and power of Elijah, though he himself was not really Elijah uh, in flesh. By the way, in Revelation 11, it says those two witnesses also won't be able to be killed because if anybody tries to kill them, they will shoot fire from their mouth. They will shoot. Wouldn't you love to have that ability? Somebody cuts you off on rush hour and you just roll down your window and just smoke them. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that awesome? Well, I'm sorry. That's not very cool, is it? <laughs> That's why God doesn't give people like me that kind of power. But anyhow, <laughs> just go around toasting people that bother you. But anyhow... Uh, so just pray for me. It's hard being me. But anyway, back to the story. Back to the story. So they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, look what's going on down here at the base of the mountain. You got the other nine. Okay, here's the story. Verse 14. Keep reading. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. This is a funny story, I think. They, they, they see a, it's, it's wonderful and tragic, but it's also funny. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son. And just as a side note, Luke's gospel says that this was also his only child. So this is even even more special here because his only son, his only child. I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, this is the part where I think it's funny, okay? Here's why. Not that this tragic demon-possessed boy here, and Jesus Jesus is going to deliver him in a moment, but, but the fact that the father says to Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples, they tried, and they couldn't do anything. Now, here's what I'm thinking, and this is just me, okay? I'm thinking, what did they try? I'm just thinking, what did they try? I mean, I can just see. All right, so Jesus and the three are up Mount Hermon, okay? And the other nine are around here like, what should we do? I don't know. Jesus and the other three, they're not here. That's all up to us guys. What should we do? I don't know. This guy needs to be delivered here. Obviously, he's possessed by a demon. What should we do? Maybe Philip speaks up. You know what? Jesus, you spit. Let's just try that. I, I see him spitting on the boy. And then Matthew's maybe like, no, 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 no. Jesus mixed mud. Let's just lather him up with some mud. And so I have this picture, you know, and maybe Thomas is there going, ah, oh, it's nothing's going to work, you know. And, and, uh, and, and, Matthew, and, you know, maybe Judas is like, well, maybe we could just charge something for this. I, you know, and I have this whole scene of nine guys who are spitting and lathering him with mud and, and, you know, just doing all kinds of, what were they doing to try to make this happen? And it wasn't working. And here comes Jesus down with Peter, James, and John, and I can just see him looking at Oh, my word. What, what's all the mud on this kid? What, in the, what have you guys been doing here? Stop spitting at him, would you? And, and so they tried, and nothing worked. Now, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, now this is the demon. When the demon saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And this is serious stuff here. Obviously, this demon is very 
aggressive, very uh, determined to assault and to maim and to injure this boy. And so he's, he's throwing him into convulsion on the ground and rolling around, and, and he's, uh, his father's already described him. He's gnashing his teeth. He's foaming at the mouth. This is, this is a very serious scene here. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, this is difficult somewhat to understand. He has been possessed from childhood. Um, We don't typically think of little children as, you know, being open or subject to demonic possession. It makes you wonder what was going on in that home. It makes you wonder what were the parents into that they would have an environment that would make their own children vulnerable to demonic principalities like this. So I personally read this, and it causes me to wonder about the family and about the parents in particular, uh, that, that, that this boy, as a child, would, would be possessed by a demon. Now, you know, there, there are things that we can do that open ourselves up to, to the work of the enemy. And, and let me just, you know make sure that I clarify that when you become a Christian and you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I know some people disagree with me on this, it's okay, but when you become a Christian and you are born again and the Lord Jesus is in your heart and you you have the Holy Spirit, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God does not share you with demons, okay? You cannot be a Christian and have the Holy Spirit and simultaneously be able to be possessed by a demon. Okay, God, God does not just allow that access. You, you belong to Jesus. You, you are filled with his spirit. There's no room for demonic possession. Having said that, though, someone who's not a believer can be possessed by a demon. That is still a possibility today. And, uh, and yet, it's, it's not like, you know, you're just going to be innocently walking on the street and all of a sudden, you know, you suck in a demon. There has, there has to be an involvement either in a cult or, or some kind of satanic uh, practices that expose you to demonic principalities. So the fact that this is a child, what would a child be doing to expose himself to demonic principalities? It, it makes me wonder about the parents. It makes me wonder what they were doing, what they were involved with, that, that then subjected their son to be exposed to demonic possession. Okay, we, don't, we don't know the background, so it's all speculation what I'm saying to you, but this is very odd here that we're reading about someone who from, a, from childhood was possessed by a demon. And, and so Jesus asks, how, how long has he been like this? The father answers. And at the end of the father's answer, he says, but if, if, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus in verse 23 said, if you can. Now, now, you know, I love the rest of his answer because at that point, Jesus, if he were like the regular people, which he's not, would have probably said, if I can, well, forget you then. If you don't think I can, then I'm not going to even, you know, and did one of these. But he doesn't, he doesn't do that, thankfully. He's very gracious as he is with all of us. And he says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I love that. That is the most honest 
answer he could have given. And I love that because that's an acceptable answer. There are places in our lives where we want to believe God. There are times when we want to hope for the best and believe the best. But if you were gut honest with the Lord, you'd have to admit, but there's a part of me that doubts that this could really work. And it's okay just in honesty with the Lord to say, I believe, but help my unbelief because there's a part of me that's having trouble with this. And God honors this. And he says, I believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw, verse 25, that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. Notice again, I mention this every time we talk about demonic deliverance. He never, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus never lays hands on someone who's demon-possessed. He just speaks the word. There's going to be no transference here. And so he just speaks the word. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again, which is a wonderful add-on that Jesus gives there. Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. When this guy was delivered from this demon, he just melted. I mean, he just, the experience of being delivered, this, the convulsive, you know, you have to try to imagine. I know Hollywood is kind of made things look a little crazy, but uh, there's probably some truth to some of the ways that they display it. You know, kind of imagine this, this convulsive kind of, of moment here where this demon is coming out, and this, this boy just is lying on the ground in, in this state that makes him look like he's died. Uh, about 20, almost 25 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and... Uh, I had a knock on the door of my home. Terry and I had been, hadn't been married very long. I don't even, I don't even think that, uh, that Tyler was born yet. Uh, we had a knock on our door, townhouse we lived in, and um, one of the high school boys from our youth group was at the door. He was a senior in high school. And he, and he said, my girlfriend needs to see you. And he had been dating another girl in our youth group. He said, my girlfriend needs to see you. And uh, I said, what about? He says, she's just acting weird. It just, I, just, I can't explain it. She just is really weird. And, uh, and so I said, well, where is she? And he said, well, she's in my car here. And he, and he said, she wanted to come see you. And so I said, all right, well, you know, take me out. To, and this was like 10 o'clock at night. I mean, it was late. And uh, it was one of these nights where it was dark and it was misty. It was like a fall evening and uh, kind of straight up like a movie scene. And so we go to the car and she's not there. And he said... All I did was come to the door of your home, and she's not here, so we have to look around for her. And we looked across. We lived in a townhouse, and so there's a, there's a parking lot there. And so across the parking lot, underneath this night this lamp, uh, was, was the girl. And she's standing there leaning up against the, the, the lamppost, and she's panting. And because it was kind of a cool fall evening, you could see, like, the, you know, the steam. And, and it, again, it was like this movie scene, and she's panting. And I could see it from across the parking lot. <sighs> And we walk over to her, and, uh, and he calls her by name, and, uh, he, and he says, Pastor Gary's here. And she, she didn't respond. He said, Pastor Gary's here. And she looked over at me, and with a man's voice, she said, I don't want to see him. And he said, that isn't what you said five minutes ago. We, and we were both kind of like, where did that voice come from? And uh, he said, that's not what you said five minutes ago. You, you wanted to come see him. And she started to walk towards my home. 
Uh, now, you know, Terry's in the house alone, and so I'm like, uh, I don't know what's up, but I'm not letting her in the house because I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And I had a sense of what was going on because when I heard that voice, I knew we're probably dealing with something demonic here. So I go and I, I start running to the house, and, um, and she's on the front lawn, the little patch before, in front of our townhouse, and she's on the front lawn with her boyfriend, and he's trying to talk her down and say, you know, he's here to pray with you. And once again, in this guttural male voice, she says, I do not want to talk to him, and he, the boyfriend, goes over to kind of put a hand on her shoulder to console her, and she picked him up, one hand on his shoulder, one hand on his thigh, and she lifted him up over his head. Now, this guy was about my size, a little bit heavier, and she picked him up over her head, she picked him up over her head like it was nothing, and then she threw him about 30 feet. And when, when I saw that, I knew this is more than working out. This is something demonic here. And, and, and then after she threw him, okay, it's one of these things where then I'm standing like right here and then she kind of goes like this. I can almost hear her neck going, you know, it was one of these deals. And just as like this instinctive thing, because I knew what was happening, I just said, in the name of Jesus, whatever demon is there, come out. And as soon as I said that, she just dropped, just like in this story, dropped on the lawn like she was dead. And then I thought, I've killed the girl. <laughs> and, uh, and then he gets up, and he's just like woozy, you know, from being thrown. And he gets up, and we just stood there for a little while. And then eventually she stood up, and she was in her right mind and her right voice, and she had been delivered. Now, it's the first and only time that, and I'm thankful but if necessary, I will, as the Lord needs us to, um, have to deal with any kind of demonic possession like that. I never saw that girl, I mean, you know, that year, and they graduated from high school, and then they went off. They actually ended up getting married. Never saw them again until a couple months ago. I was in Target, and I saw her, and she saw me, and she comes to me, Pastor Gary, and I'm like, ah! I think I visibly was like, ah! Because last time I had seen her, but she had a sweet lady's voice, and uh, life was good, and life was sweet, and, and she's doing great. But, you know, I share that with you because, look, you know, we read this kind of stuff in the Bible, and we go, oh, this is kind of old and weird stuff. And I can tell you, I was in a room full of pastors when I was a teenager, and, and my grandfather was a district superintendent at United Methodist Church, and my grandmother, after he died, would still host get-togethers with, with retired district superintendent pastors. And in her living room, there was like 10 other retired pastors, and we started talking about biblical things. And I had all those men look at me and say, do you believe in demonic possession? I said, yeah. And they said, why? I said, because the Bible says so. And I said, what about you guys? And I'm like 15, okay? Because I just believe the Bible at face value, right? I'm 15, and i just gotten saved. And, and all, every single one of them said, no, 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 we don't believe in it. So why don't you believe in it? It's in the Bible. And I said, well, it, it's, it's just people who are not in their right mind. Now, it is true. Some people, some of our mental health wards have legitimate people with mental health illness. And then there are some who are probably there who are actually demonically possessed. And some people who others think are possessed by demons, and they actually probably aren't, they may have some legitimate mental illness. But I am convinced that in some of our psych wards, there are some, it's not a broad brush statement against all mental illness, but I believe that there are some who are there who actually need to be delivered from demons. But I said to these other, these pastors in my grandmother's living room, I said, 
you got to be kidding me. You think they were just out of their minds and like insane and schizophrenic or whatever the deal was? What did Jesus drive out of them then? Okay, their minds. Is that what happened? And at that point, my grandmother gave me this look and just like, get out of the kid. Yeah, get in that out of the living room. Get out of, you know. And so I was, I was a little disrespectful, but I was young, you know. And so anyhow, I didn't know any better. But I just, I say this because look, we, we, we can't, we can't play with this stuff. I don't believe we should be looking under every rock for demons. Uh, but we should be aware that this kind of thing exists still, and that, that if someone is not a believer in Jesus, that uh, they can expose themselves if they are involved in occult things and satanic worship and, and things of this nature, and potentially to expose themselves to demonic possession. And what we're reading here is not just, well, this is old-fashioned ways of saying that somebody was, you know, uh, out of their mind and, and, and Jesus brought them into the right mind. They were possessed by a demon. In this story, this, this boy was possessed by a demon. A demon is a fallen angel. When Lucifer, when Satan rebelled in heaven, rebelled against God, and he was kicked out of heaven, Revelation uh, 12 tells us that he took as many as a fourth of the stars with him, meaning other angels. And so that means that there were other angels that rebelled with him, and those fallen angels are otherwise known as demons. Now, Ephesians 6, verse 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In Ephesians 6, 12, it actually lists like four rankings of demonic principalities. I mention that because as you look at, at the rest of the story, and we'll just read through the rest of this and then close it, but verse 28, it says, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And it must have been frustrating for them because back in chapter 6, I think it was, yeah, back in chapter 6, Jesus sends the 12 out with, the, with exousia, with authority to drive out demons and to heal the sick. So why is it here they've run into this situation where they try to drive out a demon and they can't? And they asked Jesus, how come we couldn't drive this one out? And he replied, this kind, the Greek is genos, this kind, can come out only by prayer, and King James adds, and fasting. And so what it seems to indicate is that when you think about the potential that Ephesians 6.12 talks about in areas of rankings, that, that there can be, perhaps, uh, this ranking of demonic powers and that some of the more powerful of the demons are harder to dislodge. That this one demon was more stubborn and more aggressive. And what Jesus says is, look, there are some principalities that require a person to be at a place of more intense surrender through prayer and fasting. That you would then be at a place where you would, you would, have a, uh, you would, you would be able to tap into a greater proportion of God's power to uh, dislodge this kind of a demon. And so he makes this mention here that this, this particular kind, probably again a reference to a ranking, uh, can only come out by prayer and fasting. This is more intense, and it's going to take a more intense person who's uh, praying and fasting to be able to cast this demon out. And so verse 30 says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know what, where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He repeats this. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. These guys give me hope, don't they? Give you. We'll pick it up there for next week. And um, let's just be reminded how 
powerful the Lord is. You know, look, the the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so uh, the Lord is all-powerful and almighty. We don't need to fear demonic things, but I don't think we also need to go looking for them. We should avoid any kind of satanic, occult, demonic kinds of involvement and just guard our hearts and our lives against that kind of thing. And then always uh, just know that the Lord Jesus is greater in us than any demonic force or any principality in the world. Amen. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Mark on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can also download our mobile app. Find the On The Go link under the Teachings tab. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. We'd love to meet you, but if you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our 11.45 a.m. service also offers interpreting for those who speak Spanish. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, we'd be honored to talk with you. Send us an email at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us to study the book of Mark. We hope you'll tune in again here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know